and welcome to episode one of Greenar Voice. Yep, you heard that correct. We are. This is the initial episode for our podcast, where we're going to be looking to bring in uh, PhDs and faculty and other professionals to talk about the counseling profession. I'm, and I'm going to be navigating this ship along with my co-host Jeff Mazzone. Jeff, welcome. Hey, thanks so much, Robert. Yeah, super excited about this. Uh, really hope that this can develop into a good resource, you know, for our members here of our chapter. And uh, we're pumped to have Dr. Camden kind of as our uh, guinea pig experiment here with our first episode. Um, so, Dr. Camden, thanks so much uh, for being here. And just to introduce you uh, to to our listeners, uh, Dr. Camden is a professor at Liberty University uh, from Southwest Virginia. He began his clinical career working in various capacities with adolescents at the local community services board and at a state acute crisis stabilization hospital. Dr. Camden then provided individual, group, and family counseling to adolescent males with intellectual disability within a residential treatment center for seven years. He supervised the clinical team for almost two years. Currently, Dr. Camden enjoys his faculty position while researching topics of burnout, attachment, self-advocacy, resilience, professional identity, and advocacy efforts for adolescents with autism and or intellectual disability. Dr. Camden also works part-time at a local Christian counseling private practice. So Dr. Camden, I have no idea how you have time for this interview this morning with all that you are involved in and many different uh, hats it seems that you wear, but we're so grateful uh, to have you here this morning. Oh, thank you so much, Jeff and Robert. Uh, glad to be here to talk about this very important topic. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Cam. Appreciate it. So we're going to get right into a couple questions for you. And uh, the first one that we thought we'd open with is what led you into the counseling profession and, and towards some uh, more towards CES? Um, if you could talk a little bit about that, uh, it'd be greatly appreciated. Yeah, so... You know, what led me into counseling was, was a little bit by, you know, the, the happenstance theory to some degree. I remember going to a science camp at Clemson University in uh, eighth grade, and I attended a psychology um, uh, workshop, and I remember them talking about the tabula rasa, which means blank slate, and I was just um, uh, interested in that. I don't, you know, necessarily believe in that anymore as a, as a Christian, but um, that kind of uh, planted the seed for interest in psychology. Um, when I uh, graduated my, uh, or when I went to undergrad, uh, I started off in the pre-dental track. I was doing fine in the classes, but just wasn't interested in it. So I transferred into psychology, mainly because of that, that course um, at Clemson. And so from there, uh, I just, you know, that really piqued my interest and uh, graduated and started working later on in the, at the community service board uh, with day support um, groups. Um, and then so, uh, so was the goal to be a dentist? Uh, originally, yeah, my father and grandfather were dentists. And then I was like, you know what, that's, that's too much, uh, for me. Uh, I don't know if I can stomach all of that. So, um, you know, I moved to a, a more less invasive, uh, at least, uh, physically, <laughs> uh, field. So, um, but you know, I knew that, you know, when I was working at the community service board that I, I was, um, uh, all in into it. You know, I saw the, the work that I was doing and the work that others were doing with, uh, clients and it really meant something to their lives and, and to the, to the, uh, service providers' lives. So I wanted to be a part of that. And that's what really 
uh, increased my interest in getting a license. I knew that I wanted to to actually provide counseling. And then after that, I took some time off uh, after I graduated with my master's. I had a few professors say, hey, you know, you, you seem to be interested in this. You're interested in research. You know, think one day possibly about your PhD. And then, uh, you know, I think a lot of times when professors say that, the students kind of chuckle like, oh, yeah, right. I'm still in my master's program. That sounds like a huge mountain. But uh, I took it seriously eventually and uh, then thought, you know, I do want to go back and teach. Um, and so that's what I enjoy about it now. Being able to teach, but also being in, in um, kind of on the ground and doing clinical work, I think that's a, a bridge gap between uh, research and practice. Yeah, that's great. That's Thanks great. so much. Thank you. Yeah, um, you know, it's good for us as students just to hear, you know, how different professors started, you know, and we can kind of see. You know similar stories about where we are now and perhaps where we we want to go or where we don't want to go uh and, and for you to kind of have you know you still have your clinical side and you're also teaching and also researching and writing uh so it, it's great just to put into perspective different options uh for those of us still at the master's level uh trying to figure out where are we supposed to go what does god want us to do uh, in this profession yeah and and jeff i thought you know i, I wanted to I feel like I owe it to my clients to um, maximize my knowledge. Now, just because I, I graduated in the doctoral program doesn't mean my knowledge is maximized, so to speak, right? If, if anything, I know that uh, I know more of what I don't know. Um, and so that's helpful in kind of this uh, continual pursuit of uh, trying to understand uh, how to help people. And so I, I felt like um, I was in the best position to do that by earning a, a doctoral degree. You know, and, and doctor, that kind of leads into our next question, just, you know, with your studies and, and your doctoral degree, uh, we understand that you wrote your dissertation on self-efficacy and burnout. Uh, yeah. So we'd like to ask you just about that. How did you get interested in those topics? And even if you could provide us some operational definitions of those terms and how would they apply to us students uh, looking to become professionals? Right. So, you know, I'm... Um, uh, uh after much deliberation on, on my dissertation and what I really wanted to, to look at, you know, I'd, I'd seen even at the facility that I was working at, uh, direct care professionals, other counselors, uh, myself included, um, there were times when we were just incredibly tired or irritable, um, and it, it, it just didn't seem, uh, you know, it, it seemed related to how much we cared about people, if that makes sense, but also how frustrating various things would get when things were out of our control. And so burnout to some degree is uh, a pattern of emotional overload um, and exhaustion that's seen when people become closely involved with, um, you know, their services and then feel burdened by the emotional demands of working with people who are distressed. Um, now, burnout can happen uh, in any profession, but particularly in the counseling profession. It's a very personable uh, profession, and, um, you know, we hear quite a lot of stories that we have to sit with um, and pain and suffering that we have to sit with. And so, uh, for example, emotional exhaustion is the depletion of emotional energy uh, and a feeling that one's emotional resources are inadequate to deal with the situation. Um, that's one component of burnout. The other component is depersonalization, uh, or as some call it, cynicism. And that's when uh, a provider, uh, typically after they've become emotionally exhausted, uh, when they become detached from their clients 
And so that means that they may respond in uh, negative or uh, callous or dismissive or invalidating ways. Cynicism to some degree in this instance also means that um, you may not feel that uh, clients can get better, right? Or uh, that, oh, they're not really trying hard enough, um, those kind of things. And then the last component of burnout um, from a uh, from a tr- traditional sense is lack of personal accomplishment or lack of self-efficacy or perceived lack of. That, ar- that arises when staff members or service providers feel incompetent in their work or uh, when they're unable to realize their work-related goals. Um, again, they tend to sense that their work is uh, really not beneficial for clients. Right? And when we get in a pattern of that, um, you can see how that could negatively affect our work, negatively affect um, uh, how we relate to others, uh, especially those whom we serve. Yeah. And then you know, uh, that leads into self-efficacy, uh, which was originally a, a social learning theory, but it's the belief that one can accomplish goals. And so if you're exhausted and cynical and you feel like you can't get anything accomplished, um, you're probably not going to feel uh, very competent in your ability to uh, meet goals, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Robert. Sorry, Jeff, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, just, um, just a follow-up to that, um, Dr. Camden. What, what did that look like then, taking those concepts – and, and putting that into a research project for your dissertation. Yeah, so for, uh, you know, mind combined attachment, and so what I was really looking at was, does attachment style uh, influence um, self-efficacy uh, if there's the presence of burnout? Um, what I found was, well, uh, results were, uh, were uh, you know, uh, considered with caution because I didn't quite have a large enough uh, sample size. Um, uh, but so still we got to, you know, be careful about those interpretations. But really what it looked at was um, individuals who feel... Uh, <laughs> no, that's great. And provide some comic um, relief. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Hey, uh, Mr. Switzall and I were talking about managing various roles in our lives, and so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But So, for example, um, uh, there's a schema called Strong Black Woman, uh, the Strong Black Woman schema. And so the my um, sample was made up of uh, American women. And Strong Black Woman schema is... Um, the intersectionality of African-American women's strengths, caregiving representation, resilience, and perceived self-sacrificing nature. So in my study, um, what I found was that populated them, they rated themselves as higher emotional and personalization, um, but also had high levels of personal personal accomplishment, which members of other demographics not with themselves. So even if they were exhausted and cynical about their work, they were still able to um, feel as if they were uh, effective. And so what that could possibly mean is that endorsing high levels of depersonalization, cognitive dissonance, other words, uh, it doesn't mean that they're, uh, they don't experience depersonalization. They don't allow themselves to be aware of it. Right? And this could be, uh, you know, potentially a defense mechanism. 
right? Uh, because, you know, but consider yourself as a professional caregiver and not um, care about your, your care. So, as Mr. Swinton talked earlier, that seems to be an advocacy effort um, inherent there where um, either peers uh, in the organization or administrative in the, in the uh, administrators in the organization can really meet some needs uh, of members of that graphic. Uh, so I hope that makes sense that we got interrupted there a, a little bit. No, that's great. And, and, you know, we're trying to keep these, these episodes short, but I mean, that's, that's like a whole nother 45 minute conversation right there. Yeah. I'd love to hear more, you know, next time, particularly about that self-sacrifice piece and what that looks like. Uh, when you're emotionally drained, when you're in burnout, and and are you sacrificing because you know it's just strictly of the will? I have to sacrifice. I have to respond, whether you know to the needs of my family or the needs of my clients. I have to do this. Have to do this, even though emotionally I'm just totally dead, totally burnt out. And what that looks like in terms of self-efficacy. Um, so you know, maybe we could save that for next time. Unless you have a quick comment on that before yeah. we move on to the next question. Uh, I think those are all considerations. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, and I think that's a great segue into the uh, the last question here. And, and just to lead into it, one of the points you made in, in your dissertation, you said self-efficacy has been found to be one of the greatest predictors of burnout among staff members. And I think that just ties into what we were just saying. And, and leading into the last question here, um, through your research, what are some common signs of a pending burnout and what are measures, uh, especially as, as future counselors, as well as existing counselors, that we can take to help avoid burnout? And, and some of those issues that you just mentioned, as well as um, just to benefit our clients. You know, I think that's the worst part of burnout is, is not just yeah. affecting us, but it's affecting our, our, our clients. Well, I think the most important thing we can do, and this is what I try to infuse early on in, in the classes that I teach, is, uh, you know, we have to become a reflective counselor. Um, you know, whatever we're feeling in response to uh, clients or the workload that we have. And let's get, you know, let's be honest, in our training programs, we don't talk about the paperwork load that comes with counseling, right? We, we really just focus on working with clients. But there's, I mean, that's, you know, maybe 20% of what we do. And then we have all this paperwork and treatment plans that, um, really kind of tends to overload the system. So, uh, although it's much needed, uh, but, uh, perspective and especially online educational settings, you know, students and professors, they often feel that they have to prioritize, uh, multiple duties across multiple roles. Uh, so, uh, for instance, a student may prioritize completing an assignment for class or fulfilling job related tasks, uh, and duties. They have to navigate home and relationship expectations. I mean, Lots of roles, uh, lots of um, emotional demands. Uh, and this could produce burnout components, especially exhaustion or perceived lack of right? Spreading yourself so thin. And you might see uh, irritability, okay? Or, um, again, uh, anger that seems unmatched with the, the, the situation that they're in. Uh, negative reactions to others, withdrawal, um, you know, and then so... <clears throat> I think um, one way to, to deal with it, especially from a, a counselor education perspective, is, um, you know, professors and students alike have the opportunity or, or should have the opportunity to process these feelings without fear of retaliation or shame or uh, guilt or a sense of being abnormal. Um, 
uh, I think providing the opportunity for students to do this uh, promotes their self-awareness and self-care and self-discovery and again, uh, to become a reflective clinician, right? In the field, you do this with uh, right? you talk with your supervisor about it. It also provides a framework, I, I believe, for how to normalize and process role stress, role conflict clients, right? If we've been through, we know how to navigate things, we don't model how to do that with, uh, with our clients. Yeah, those are all, thank you. Those are all great points to keep in mind um, as we pursue this career and, and this profession. I know for me uh, personally, I think this is something that I, I need to be mindful of um, in, in that stretching too thin gets home. And so I, I, I appreciate I appreciate your, your dissertation, all the effort that you put into it. Um, and just all the great information that I learned from reading through it. I know it's going to help me, uh, and I hope it helps others as they listen to this uh, podcast and and uh, really reflect on what burnout is to them. Thank you. And, you know, following up with that, too, uh, just as we kind of close out here today, you know, it, it's interesting uh, and edifying, if that's the right word to use, uh, on the self-efficacy piece, you know, for us as students, Robert and I, just to be able to coordinate with you and, and other faculty members in this chapter, like, you, you guys, you you promote that self-efficacy in us. You give us opportunities to to grow in the profession, to to take on tasks and projects. And and, and I get the sense that Robert probably may agree with this, too, that, that it seems like you all have this gift of, of being able, almost this gift of affirmation of being able to see a gift in a student and, and, and putting them on a mentorship track uh, to to inculcate uh, those gifts and those strengths to help us as students find our niche in this profession, help us find what we're good at, what we're passionate about, what God is calling us to uh, in this. And so it's just, it's a real gift to be able to, as I always say in these meetings, sit at the feet of the masters uh, and, and grow and benefit uh, from that. And, and, and the love that you guys have uh, for students has been really, really edifying. Uh, so thank thank you for that. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think uh, my job across settings, regardless of what that is, is to empower and equip. Um, and if I'm not doing that, then, then what am I doing? Right. I mean, empowering uh, students, empowering clients. Uh, that seems to be the essence for me, at least, uh, of a counselor. And so. My dissertation chair, and I know we're closing out, but my dissertation chair, um, he talked about uh, outputs are up to us and outcomes are up to God. And so I try to you know, do the best that I can and realize that you know, I don't control uh, everything. So uh, if I take care of what I can control, then, um, you know, it's uh, Lord willing from there. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a great, great way to, to kind of close us out there. So. Dr. Camden, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule for just uh, sharing with us, for being a guinea pig uh, for our first. <laughs> I mean, uh, we had we had some dogs barking. Uh, I know I had a little bit of technical difficulties as we were getting started, but that's okay. Um, you know, I, I appreciate it. And I know uh, on behalf of, of all of us with uh, our, our RENAR chapter, um, we find, I hope we find that, that we can continue this and thank you again. And hopefully we can get you back on and, and talk about some other stuff. I'd love to be able to, to pick your brain a little bit more and see what else we can learn from you. 
Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Dr. Kennedy. Right. Thanks, Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we hope that you'll check us out next time um, and, uh, and keep listening. Thanks.